Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Bible's open to John chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, grab a pew Bible. There's no keynote or pro presenter up on the screen. So we're going old school. Jesus didn't have keynote. He used, he didn't even have a Bible, but uh, he had Torah and, and the Torah scrolls. John 4, John 4, page 1065, if you're not familiar with the Bible. Uh, it's in the Pew Bible, 1065. We're looking at a series called Face to Face. I read an article this week in a national publication that I think is very applicable to us. Starts with a number, 39,600. Say that number, 39,600. That's how many seconds per day the average American spends consuming media. 39,600 seconds. That's 11 hours a day. Looking at smartphones, tablets, televisions, laptops. And sociologists are starting to wonder, where is this headed? It appears, this article says, grown-ups are the ones with the real screen time problem. A, uh, a recent report found that adults check their smartphones on average 150 times a day. It's pretty obvious. Our screen time is excessive, technology is addictive, and we should probably stop spending half our day staring at rectangles that glow. Less obvious, however, and here's the premise we're going to build this whole whole series built on. Less obvious is this. What should we look at instead? If we look at our smartphones and televisions way too much, what are we not looking at enough? The last line I'll read to you from the article. It says, we see more than we have ever before through the technology, and yet our capacity to see what is real, true, and beautiful has been eclipsed like never before. That's what this whole series is about. Looking at each other face to face, looking at God face to face, embracing Jesus face to face, watching his real life encounters with people. And Jesus came getting face to face with people to upsize them. We talked about this last week, to bring their raw materials in today's vernacular and create something actually better than the original, upsizing and upcycling them. I'm sorry, upcycling them. So we're in John 4 and we're looking at Jesus and an encounter with someone who desperately needed a face-to-face encounter with the Savior. And what we just sang is the anthem over her life. We're going to see that lived out. And we're going to read along as we go. So meet me on page two of your message notes, John 4. And I wanted you to see what it looks like to come face-to-face with Jesus and how Jesus wants to use you and me to be his face on our peninsula, on our peninsula. We are the face of Jesus for the peninsula. You know that, right? We are his hands, his feet, his mouth, his face. And the premise is we believe that he can actually fill us with his spirit to live into that. But we need to know a few things about God and how he's going to use us. Here's the first. Face-to-face moments with Jesus are providential. They're providential. Let's pick it up in verse 3. John 4, 3. Jesus left Judea and went once more back to Galilee. Judea's in the south Galilee's in the north. There was a region of land in between. It's about a 70-mile journey that most, certainly the rabbis, but most Jews would go completely around, completely never even setting foot in this territory. 
for a reason. Now look at verse 4. He had to go through Samaria. Circle that. Put a question mark by it in your Bible. Why? Why? There was a great trade route completely around Samaria. Why did he have to go through it? We'll answer that. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. Literally in the Greek language, it says he was exhausted. Can you imagine that? Uh, another book in the Bible, Philippians uh, chapter 2 says, he completely disrobed himself of deity when he came to earth and took the full form of a human being, the ageless, eternal, all-powerful God of the universe was exhausted as a human being. That's where we meet Jesus. It was by a well about noon. Now, Samaria, we talked about this in the opening message. I just want to remind us the history here. It will make the story come alive. In centuries before, most of the Jews were exiled to Babylon. The Persians came in, ransacked Jerusalem, uh, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, Esther, Nehemiah. Many books were written about this. You can read about it yourself uh, in the Old Testament. But they came and took the best of the best to Persia. They left behind kind of the throwaways, the people they thought, the Jews, you have no value, so just stay here. You're not a threat. You're not even an asset to culture. Essentially, those people formed a new ethnic group. What they did is they intermarried with Canaanites and became uh, a blended group that was a new ethnicity. They took on uh, the Canaanite religion and added it to their Judaism. Uh, they took on the Canaanite culture. Uh, they took on a new temple and built their own Samaritan temple. They were called the Samaritans in Mount Gerizim, where this story takes place. Mount Gerizim that's referred to in this story was their temple mount. Uh, the Jews destroyed it in 120 BC. The Jews considered the Samaritans racially inferior, religiously heretical, and politically a sellout. I cannot accurately state how much these two groups hated each other. So much so that no good Jew would normally set foot in Samaritan soil. Because of all that, it was racism, it was classism, it was religious bigotry, uh, at its most extreme. And so Jesus is tired, but he has to go through Samaria. And he's in there, and he's doing what he loves to do, acting providentially. We begin to see a clue of why he had to go through Samaria. Uh, do you know that word providence? It is a uh, Latin term. It means pro, which means forward. Vide, Latin to see. Providence is God seeing ahead of time and infusing the ordinary with his presence. Seeing ahead of time and infusing the ordinary with his presence, or as Dr. Tony Evans of Dallas, Texas says, providence is the hand of God in the glove of time. That's good, isn't it? The hand of God in the glove of time. In other words, are you saying, geez, are you telling me that Jesus had to go through Samaria because he knew that woman would be at the well on that day, at that time, and he went specifically for her? That's exactly what I'm telling you. That's providence. And when you get face-to-face -face with people, you, I want us to have that conviction of providence. Uh, it is a glorious thing when you hold to this conviction and begin a practice. I want to encourage you to do this where in the morning you lay out your calendar and you pray through your appointments for the day, but then your last prayer is, God, you've already walked through my day. So you call any audible 
you want. I'm telling you, the adventure in my life comes when that prayer is answered and God calls audibles. And it's usually inconvenient. Uh, three weeks ago, this is a true story, um, I have a whole morning regimen. I'm a control freak. And part of that regimen, I have a small little setup for espresso. And I have it set on a Wi-Fi um, uh, plug so it just turns on early in the morning. So by the time I work out, come into the kitchen, the, the boiler's all heated up. It is ready to pull some shots. And I have found a good workout, a quad espresso, and a quiet time. It is a great way to start your day. And so um, unbeknownst to me the night before, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but someone, uh, the machine's turned off because it's hooked up on Wi-Fi, turns on automatically. Someone had clicked the pump while the machine's turned off. So it, early in the morning when the, you know, it kicks in, it pulls the shots and just keeps draining all the water and burns out my pump. It, it's not that big of a tragedy, but thank you for your sympathy. Uh, that's awesome. We're going to take an offering right now for Gary's espresso machine. So, um, so I come down and I'm smelling something like, oh no, oh no. And I'm, sure enough, espresso machine's over. And so I have a little hissy fit and uh, I get in my car uh, very early in the morning and drive to Pete's Coffee downtown. As I'm driving to Pete's Coffee, uh, I notice going down Brewster that my neighbor who in my life is my Samaritan, uh, is walk, who I pray for almost every day, by the way, house by house. But, uh, and have, we've had neighborhood conversations, but I've never taken it, this is a confession, a step further, bringing them into my home or anything like that. This is that neighbor that, um, it's just hard. He is an EGR, extra grace required neighbor. Uh, this is that neighbor that you have to say, hey, please, I have, I have kids hearing this. Hey, please, this is the neighbor you call the cops on when things get out of control, okay? That neighbor. But he's walking down. And so I feel like the Holy Spirit going, pick him up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, pull a U-turn and pull over. And I'm like, Gary, that's not his real name, Gary. Say Gary so I remember that, Gary. Okay, good, it's sinking in my head. Gary, I'm like, need a ride? And he, he was smoking, and the first thing he did was apologize to me. So sorry, I'm smoking. As if his behavior mattered to me. Someone trained him in that. And I said, need a ride? And he hops in. As we were driving to work, he became human to me. And not that neighbor. I said, where do you work? He says, well, I, got, I carry two jobs. I won't be back till 10 o'clock tonight. It was before six in the morning. He told me about the fact that seven, uh, his mom was pulled out of the house by Child Protective Services and he lived in the foster care system, which made a lot of sense. He told me about just, he just kept talking and talking. I'm like, oh my gosh. He goes, and then he just said this. He's like, Gary, all I want to do is be accepted, man. I said, don't we all? We got to Pete's and this conversation was going somewhere. I said, hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? He's like, I, I would love that. And so we sat down and continued to talk. And he said, I got a question for you. He said, when I leave early in the morning, he's like, I see you at your table with the light on. Looks like you're reading something. What are you doing there? I said, oh, Gary, I'm just, that's my Bible. I'm just orienting myself before the love of God and reminded myself of how much God loves me. And I said, and loves you too. 
and I'm praying for you as well. It was a moment pregnant with opportunity until the train whistle blew and he said, oh my gosh, I gotta go. And he ran off. Are you saying, Gary, that God broke your espresso machine so that you could have that conversation? That's providence? No, the stupidity of someone in my house <laughs> broke the espresso machine. But Romans 8, verse 28 said, God causes all things to work together for good. God knew the espresso machine would break. God knew that I needed to practice what I'm preaching, getting face to face with people. God knew I wasn't doing it because that was Samaria to me. So he said, let's just break the espresso machine and then we'll get you face to face. Providence, providence. See, when we sing, there's no mountain he won't climb up no valley he won't climb through coming after us. God works things in amazing ways providentially because it is the hand of God and the glove of time. Psalm 139 verse 16 says this, your eyes saw my unformed body. How many of you started life in your, mo in your mother's womb? Raise your hand and testify. Yeah. yeah, we believe in life here and this is actually one of the verses why we're so passionate about all of life uh, from, from utero to death. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's providence, my friends. And when you walk with those deep convictions, I'm telling you, it is powerful that you, to know nothing is an accident. God will use the pain, the, the mess to come about with his divine plan. So what we have in verse 7 to 26 is a dialogue with five appeals from Jesus Five responses from this woman. And let's eavesdrop and listen in, okay? And here's the second thing I want you to know. Face-to-face -face moments are personal. They're personal. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples were in town to buy food. Now, well, just some history on wells, especially in the, the biblical arc, the story arc of the Bible. Now, the primary function of wells in Israel was to supply water for a household. It was centrally located, it was open for all, and they served as social gathering places. Travelers would stop to water their herds, their camels, and what have you. But you need to know in the Old Testament, the Bible, wells, and this is important, were places of betrothal. Uh, our Old Testament is filled with uh, marriages that happened that started at wells. The Old Testament recounts several women meeting their future spouses at, at wells. And they follow the same literary pattern and you see it lived out with Jesus. He's very intentional to reframe that Old Testament narrative. A man travels to a foreign land, meets a young woman to draw water for him. After meeting the girl's family, a marriage is arranged. Uh, Abraham did this to meet Rebecca in Genesis 24. Jacob did this to meet Rachel in Genesis 29. Moses, anyone heard of him? He met his wife, Zipporah, at a well in Exodus 2. So Jesus is using those things in the Old Testament. Theologians call that a type, a picture in the Old Testament to show who Jesus uh, is going to be and what the gospel is going to be. Jesus is stepping right into that biblical history, in essence saying, I'm actually here as a bridegroom to create a new marriage for a new people that will last forever. Okay, so you see that in here. 
Then we jump in. He breaks all socio-religious barriers and he initiates. He's intentionally engaging her, getting face-to-face with a woman that uh, because of her gender, because of her religion, because of her race, other people were avoiding and because of her morality. In Jesus' day, the great majority would have written this woman off, much like I did in some ways with my neighbor. She's shocked that Jesus would talk with her. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? In other words, don't you know the rules, Jesus? How can you ask me for a drink? We don't, we're not supposed to talk to each other. Actually, six times in verse 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Six times the word Samaria is used. John inserted it there intentionally to show this shouldn't happen. But Jesus breaks through every significant barrier in those six uh, verses to show, oh, on earth it shouldn't happen, but I came that things on earth would happen as they should in heaven. What barriers did he break through? A racial barrier? a gender barrier, a religious barrier, a moral barrier. It's radical, my friends. It's radical. And I'm praying and I'm learning with you that Christ would enable us to do the same thing, be radically kingdom-minded and break through all the barriers that our culture sets up that are doing us no good in this great democracy that we live in. She's amazed. She's amazed and we should be too. That's what the gospel does. It amazes that God's grace is that good. It amazes. And that's, uh, that's the story. Uh, actually, after the 855, uh, our 855 service is orchestral, and it, it, it's, it's awesome. It's incredible, mainly uh, filled with older people, some younger, but mainly older. Uh, after the service, I was blown away. Someone in our choir came to me and said, I love that it breaks barriers. She goes, you know where I'm going in three weeks? I'm like, no, you're not going to believe this. Are you ready? She goes, I'm going to Burning Man. <laughs> Google it and you'll discover. Don't, don't put a filter on your, your search engine and then Google Burning Man. I'm like, What? She goes, oh, yeah. She's like, they have this, I found out they have this thing called the temple where people come and, and, and ask for a prayer to whoever. And she goes, why wouldn't a Christ follower show up there and let the real Jesus show up there? I'm like, you go, my dear old sister. You go. That is incredible. See, we get amazed by that. That's what the gospel does. Jesus shows up in unexpected places in unexpected ways. And my friends, that is how the church grew from the resurrection to what we have now. It's only really in the West we depended on a place for people to come to us. That's not biblical. The goal is to go to them. That is what the gospel is. That's what Jesus did. Because he loves the world of almost 8 billion people now, but he loves them face to face. And the way he's going to love them is through us. Jesus loved is providential. Jesus' love is extremely personal. Jesus answered her, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is asking you for a drink, you would ask me and I would have given you living water. That's a metaphor, my friends, for eternal life. And please note, look in your Bible. It's a gift. 
It's not given on the basis of merit or pedigree or class or race or gender. That's what religion taught in its day. But being in a relationship with Jesus, it can't be earned. Uh, living water is kind of lost in us in the West because we, we have an abundance of water. Uh, we have it in, in containers. We have it purified. We can spend six bucks for a bottle of it. But in, in that day, it was a parched land. And getting to a well was a big deal. You needed water to live. And Jesus is saying to her, oh, you think this water keeps you alive physically? And it does. He says, I have something even better than that that will keep your soul alive spiritually. That's what he's saying. Something without which you are absolutely lost. You die without this well water. I'm telling you, this is the claim of Christ. You will die without my living water spiritually. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. She's still thinking literal. The well's uh, deep. Where can I get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, oh, my dear sister, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I give them will never thirst. Would you circle those two words in your Bible? That is an audacious claim. And I just want to ask, um, and I, I say this humbly, is that your experience in Christ? That he is so generative in you that he's creating a satisfaction where you don't turn, we'll get to her exterior thing, to exterior things to satisfy you. That regardless of what happens in your life, there is a living well of satisfaction. Never thirst. It's a good prayer. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. If I were to ask you, and it's a question asked all the time, it's probably the highest ideal here in the West to be happy. If I were to ask you what makes you happy, what makes you content, what would you point to? That great theologian Mick Jagger said, I can't get no satisfaction. What satisfies you? Most of us would point to something outside ourselves, something we're chasing. And I'm not pointing fingers. It's innate in me too. A destination, a position, a relationship, financial independence, uh, a degree, career accomplishment. Do I have everyone's attention? Those are wells. Those are what you're going to for outside in satisfaction. I'm not down on that. I thank God for that. But what I'm saying is they will always overpromise and underdeliver. Always. Jesus says regardless there could be an interior satisfaction in him. The woman says, "Sir, give me this water, wouldn't you too?" If the, that's the offer on the table, who wouldn't want it? So that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. This leads us to our third point. Face-to-face moments are piercing, are piercing. Jesus brings her to conviction, not condemnation. He does not shame. Listen, Jesus is safe. He would never shame you, ever. That's not the goal of Jesus. Now, conviction is fine. That's where he brings her, and I'll unpack that in a minute. He told her, go. She wants it, right? She's all in. But you can't have a relationship with Christ without turning from what you were drawing a relationship from, your identity from, your purpose from. 
Bible calls that repentance, to change your mind and turn from something towards Jesus. There's not a relationship with Christ apart from repentance. The good news is only good if you turn from the bad news. That's where he's getting at with her. So he says, hey, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied, which is partially true. She doesn't give him the full story because she's ashamed. She doesn't know who this truly is. She doesn't think she can be safe. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Listen, in essence, here's what Jesus is saying and please track with me. He's not trying to shame this woman. Jesus would never do that. He doesn't have a hierarchy of sin like we do here in the West. Sin is sin to Jesus. Here's what he's saying. You may not think you're spiritually thirsty, but you're deeply thirsty for God. You're deeply thirsty for acceptance and significance. You just don't recognize it. You're deeply thirsty and you're turning to the well of male approval, male security, male uh, sex with a male. And he's saying, I'm just telling you, that's not going to satisfy you. He points to her well and says, you know what? I'm so much better than that. You don't think you're thirsty? Go call your husband because that's your well. Here on the, on the peninsula, people would say, spiritually thirsty? <laughs> I'm not spiritually thirsty. To which Jesus would answer, oh yeah? Go and get your financial portfolio. Go and get your graduate degree. Go somewhere, whatever it is that you deeply identified with that makes up who you are. Take it out of your life and you don't exist anymore in your mind. You've invested somewhere. You place unrealistic expectations somewhere. We all have wells that serve as functional saviors. For me that morning, it was go and get your espresso maker. Go and get your workout regimen. Go and get the schedule you think you can control. We all turn to things to serve as security. And Jesus is just revealing hers. Now, many of us feel uncomfortable with this aspect of Jesus, but just track with me, okay? A Jesus we create, a Jesus who's a projection of our own desires, a Jesus who we won't allow to ever contradict us, never challenge us. So uh, that kind of Jesus, he'll never help us either. That you'll never be transformed with that kind of Jesus that you create. If you're really gonna have a Jesus who transforms you, do I have everyone's attention? It's gonna have to be a Jesus of his own reality, not a Jesus of our making. And so Jesus says, go get your husband. Because I didn't come all this way from heaven to be exhausted on earth so that you could be comfortable. I came so you could be saved forever and live significantly. What's Jesus doing? He's stating, if you really want the living water I offer you, you need to understand how you've been seeking other water with your own life. just want to take 30 seconds and ask, where have you been seeking other water? Placing undue identity, happiness, 
security. We all have it, okay? So don't feel ashamed. Remember, there is no condemnation for anyone who's in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? Conviction is great. Just do a little dance to the music playing. Fourthly, face-to-face moments with Jesus are powerful. They're powerful. This is so good. The woman said, I know that Messiah, by the way, that is an important phrase for her because the Samaritan uh, Messiah was called the Taheb. They didn't believe in a Jewish Messiah. They believed in the Samaritan Messiah. So you see the progression of this woman if you're taking notes. Verse 9, you're a Jew. Verse 19, you're a prophet. And here in verse 25, I think you're the Messiah. She is progressing and yielding to Jesus. I know he's coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I'm going to give you the literal translation in the original documents. Jesus said, I am the one speaking to you. See, the Samaritan Bible was not like the Jewish Old Testament. The Samaritan Bible was only the first five books of the Bible, including a book called Exodus. And in Exodus, when God appeared to Moses to go to Pharaoh, Moses said, what's your name? Who do I tell him you are? The God of gods, not the territorial God, the God. God said, oh, just tell him this is my name. I am. And here Jesus is, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, before the Samaritan, coming in her holy book, the book of Exodus that she adhered to. He's not quoting from Isaiah. She didn't believe in the holy book of Isaiah. And he's saying, I am the one speaking to you. Can you imagine what that did for her? Well, let's look. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, now just take note here. You see a transformation. When our story opened, she avoided people because she was morally unfit in culture and people avoided her. It's why she went to the well alone. No one ever did that. When our story opened, uh, and now she's running back to the town. When our story opened, she was disregarded. Now she's about to be believed. When our story opened, she was objectified. Now she's going to be an influencer. Don't tell me Jesus can't change a life. Don't tell me living water isn't amazing, better than any well we go to. Look what she says. Come see a man. And you can imagine what they should have said. Oh, here she is talking about another man. No, 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 no. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town, made their way toward them. Why? Because there was something in her that they had never seen before. And look what happens. Many of the Samaritans of that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Now we see why Jesus had to go through Samaria. Because there was a woman at a well, but it didn't stop with her. There was a town that the woman could influence, and it didn't stop with them. Look what they said. They said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. We know this man is the savior of the world. The next time Samaria is mentioned in the Bible is in Acts chapter eight, verse four to eight. And the ripple effect of this woman in this town is seen there. Philip is in Samaria, you know what it says? Crowds came out to Jesus. There was great joy in the city. It was amazing. 
So as we close, I want to close with one verse, and then we'll pray and get out of this time together. I don't want us to leave, but we got to leave. John 4, 35, the end of the story. The disciples come back. They're blown away that he was talking to a woman from Samaria, and he looks to them, and this is our word, John 4, 35, everybody. Jesus said, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. Friends, this is why I had us turn to the city and sing. Jesus said, I tell you, open your eyes and look to the fields. They're ripe for harvest. They are ripe for harvest. We'll never believe that unless we're drinking from living water. We'll never, you all are evangelists. You're evangelists for something. We will never be true evangelists for the Lord Savior unless he did something truly in us. Let's pray to that end. So Lord, we give ourselves to you and thank you for this time. We thank you for the truth of this story and you continue to blow our minds by crossing cultural, religious, moral barriers. May we do the same. God, you've convicted us at some point of wells we're going to looking for living water. You hold that before the Lord, whatever it is that's serving as your functional savior. Fill us with the true living water. Let us turn from that, Lord, and turn to you so that in you we can live lives that are amazing. Amazing. Not for our glory, but for the glory of you and for the sake of the peninsula and the world. So we love you, Jesus. Meet us like you did this woman. We pray this in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.